0: but sharp and iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. All right, so we are in Romans chapter 7, and we're making our way through that uh, debated part of it. We've been going through that. We've discussed the different views that exist today, and as I said last time, um, the majority of, of teachers and commentators see these passages as Paul's autobiography. Uh, they see it as Paul is a mature Christian, um, and they, they would say it's the normative Christian life, and then I said I disagree on that. I believe it describes life in the body of Adam or, and or Moses. Uh, I think it's life under the law. It seems to me like it's a very uh, moral type of person, but trying to gain sanctification and righteousness under the law, you can't obtain it on your own. We know God's standard even with the law isn't going to make you righteous. It's faith and faith alone in Christ. So, As I pointed out, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit empowering the person that's said to be sold under sin, which is the total opposite of the truth that's already been laid out in the previous chapter, in chapter 6. It simply cannot be Paul or Paul describing the normative life as a Christian. As I said, we may be able to look at that or read it at times and have... uh, uh, an agreement with it but that's not what's in question what's in question is the actual context and what he's speaking about in the the, the total context of this letter in, in this section so I believe it's he's contrasting the law and and uh, then we'll see uh, life in Christ uh, in chapter 8 so today we'll finish chapter 7 uh, and then we'll go through the first four uh, verses of chapter 8 and um, And we'll stop there because, and so it may be a little shorter today, but it's because 5 and and on for a bit, he gets into like the the flesh and spirit contrast. So I didn't want to unpack all of that all at once and uh, lay it on you guys. So uh, let's look at verses 21 through 25 in chapter 7. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So in in 21, he's drawing his conclusion from the argument that he's been making. And he says, this then is what I have discovered about the law. He's opened this section speaking uh, about the law of marriage. He said that the woman was under the law of her husband. And this This is the law of sin and death from which man cannot escape. That man under the old covenant was married to sin and death. So the offspring of Adam is like the helpless woman who was married to an abusive husband. Evil was present because they were married to the law, which increased sin. So for Paul, this sin that phrase sin dwelling in me and evil lies close at hand are the consequences of being in Adam. It's relational. We're born outside of the covenant with God, right? Which men, humanity were created to enjoy um, a relationship with God. So but we were born outside of that, born into this sin and death. So the consequence of Adam's disobedience is universal. We know this. All of his descendants were driven out of God's presence with him. So in, in 7, Paul's argument still it has a corporate dimension or a nature to it, right? And its, it's language should be read in terms of man's condition in Adam Rather than seeing sin as dwelling, like seeing it personally, sin dwells in Paul, which we know it does, but in this context, uh, it, it's the condition in Adam. And we see, we see that there is a delight in the law of God, that, and even those in Adam that were part of Israel delighted in it. The inner man is simply another way of denoting the mind which agrees with the law and wants to practice it. So this war that's going on in 23 is between the Torah as it appears from, we, again, we go all the way back to, to chapter 5, verse 20, and up to this point, and it's the holy, just, good law of God, and the law can become uh, a different one in that it is used by, by sin and brings about death. So, the law seems to have two different sides to it. The Jews delighted in the law of God, but at the same time, there was another law in its members. So, it's easy to read that statement to um, members, the members of my body, um, as a reference to Paul's physical body, if an uh, individualistic perspective. Um, for interpreting that that passage seems to be the common thing. We say the members here is your, his hands, his arms, his eyes, his mouth, his ears, and all that. But um, in, in if you're going with the body as we've gone over before, it would be a reference to the individuals that's within that corporate body. We have members of the body of Christ. You're, you're a member. I'm a member, right? So the law here is identified as the law of the mind while in verse 25 it says so then on the one hand i myself with my mind am serving the law of god all right so israel serves the mosaic law with its mind in verse 23 the law is identified as the law of the mind so the law of the mind the law of god are the same here so this text is all about the law of God that, uh, that God gave to Israel. And it's the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And then we see this, this cry, though, for a deliverance. And that's again where you have to ask is this Paul? If this is Paul as, as a Christian, why is he asking to be del- delivered from this body of death? Because we know as Christians, we, we are forgiven, we've been given life eternally through Christ and will be uh, resurrected, right? So that's, the, that's a promise. We know that. But so He's asking here, what, who's gonna deliver me? That, that doesn't seem to make sense. So he, he uses a, a present tense to describe a present reality of wretchedness. He says, the wretched man that I am. He doesn't say uh, I was or a wretched man I used to be. Um, and we we should know that if the word saints is the second most common word used to describe a Christian in the New Testament, that we know that why we do stumble or we have these temptations or why we do at times sin, uh, we we shouldn't see ourselves as wretched anymore since we've been been born again in Christ. So. Why would Paul want to say, hey, I'm this wretched man, and then cry out to be rescued if he's already been <laughs> born again, right? So is he looking for a second work of grace? What is it, right? What's going on here? Well, we, because we know, we know we've been rescued from this domain of darkness the spiritual death of being an Adam and we've been transferred into the kingdom of God of the beloved son. And that's in Colossians one 13. So again, it all seems to make sense when you look at the contrast, when you go back to, to five and see the Adam and Christ thing, and he's still in this, uh, this body of Moses, this old covenant Israel and the and, and what you get, though, is when you look at the word wretched in Greek, uh, it, it, it's the exhaustion of hard labor. And so that makes sense when you think of a life of works to gain righteousness would cause exhaustion. That's a hard labor. It's exhaustion. Uh, so this is... A lament it's a lament of the Jew under Torah and the body of death is the body of Moses which was a body of sin and he says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord and so here he gives this praise here's the solution he's going to just unpack or unfold all of this in chapter 8 so the mind of the eye, remember the eye we touched upon last time, we we're going to see that word, eye, eye, eye. But is it Paul? No, it's the body of Moses. I loves and delights in the law of God, but the flash of the eye resists God's law, and instead of serving God, serves sin. How is it a Christian? <laughs> it's Israel under law. It's under Torah. Loving God's law, yet continually serving God. The flesh and going after uh, the the sinful nature, if you will, which I know sinful nature. We've already discussed that, but it's so ingrained in me <laughs> to use that term. But the only one in in solution, the only solution for Israel, for old covenant Israel, and then and for all for all humanity, us. Is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And that's what he's saying. He's like, he's been contrasting Adam and Christ and the law and all these things, and say, well, who can deliver you, deliver you from the body of, Christ, uh, of Mo, the body of death, body of Moses? Thanks be to God through Jesus. All right. So you, you this leads to this climactic part then that expounds on that solution in Romans eight one and two. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, so if, you, if this person, it was Paul, think about it again. I just really want to try to drive that to you guys, though. I'm sold under sin. I do all these things. I don't want to do it all. There's no condemnation, though, for those who are in Christ. You know, it doesn't compute. So again, you have to you, you go back in context to the Adam Christ contra- contrast in verse or in chapter five. It's really it starts in 12, I believe, but it's 12 through 21, because the condemnation that was imposed there. OK, and it goes all the way back to the garden. It's done away with here. So the one thing that really stands out in chapter 8, then, is the number of times that the Spirit is mentioned, all right? There's one time, I believe, in, in, in 7. But around 21 times in chapter 8. And I believe it's the greatest concentration of references to the Holy Spirit within the New Testament. It's, a, it, it's an average of one almost every two verses that he mentions the Holy Spirit. So remember, I mean, I made a point to say there's no mention of the Holy Spirit or that person he's talking about in seven. And now it's a spirit, spirit, spirit. It's the life in the spirit all the time. So the condemnation that we saw in chapter five where Adam's sin resulted in judgment, all right? That's, That's what he's speaking of here. So Adam's sin imputed to all of us, right? As the federal headship, that's condemnation. That was the spiritual death and the separation from God. When Adam sinned, he sinned as our federal head. Adam's sin is imputed to the account of every individual in Adam's race. We, we should know this one by now, but everyone is born spiritually dead, separated from God because of that sin. His act was a representative act, and you and I, as represented by our federal head, had participated in Adam's sin, and that is disobedience. So Romans 5, 12 through 21, is a comparison of those two, the two men, right? Adam and Jesus. And the comparison is, is very simple. There's two men who each performed a single act that brought forth a single result, Right? The result is experienced by every member of their respective races. In Adam, there's nothing but death and hopelessness. But in Jesus, there is life for he's brought his people out from under the rule and authority of that sin and of that death. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Union with Adam, the first man, led to condemnation and death. Union with Jesus, the last Adam, secured our righteousness and life. So in in verse 2, Paul says that the spirit of of life in Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. And he's, he's, he's talking of setting slaves free. This is Exodus language, right? that those in Christ are brought out of the Egypt or the Pharaoh from under that rule and authority of sin and death they're made citizens in the kingdom of God and he Paul puts this in the past tense which declares something's already it's already happened by the spirit's application of our union with Jesus and he explains this conclusion in verse 3 saying the law could not compel us to live perfectly, which is why it only served to condemn us. For God, verse 3, For God has done uh, what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. And in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And then that's when he'll start to get into the contrast of the, the flesh and the spirit that we'll see next week. But here he says, What was impossible for what was impossible was for the law to give life. It offered it, but it, it couldn't deliver it. The law was helpless to change this situation in the same way that the law is helpless to change a marriage if it goes wrong. The law was never intended to change the hearts of people, but to protect the relationships that it recognized within the covenant. All right. And. and and we know, too, we've, we've gone over it. Like, it couldn't clear your conscience either, right? Christ can't. And we see the word flesh here being used again. And NIV translates flesh as sinful nature. Nature. And while most would acknowledge that for Paul, though, that for Paul, like the scholars and theologians say that for Paul, sarks describes man in Adam or in the, in the kingdom of darkness uh, many would prefer an understanding of personal guilt, but Paul is just speaking of of, of man's fallen condition of in Adam when he says in flesh and it, that makes sense when you think about it and, and like even though Jesus was here as man, he's still God, right? And the Holy Spirit, so we have, here we are in the flesh and Adam, and then we're born again, and then we're in the Spirit, right? With With God. So what the law couldn't do, God did, he says. That Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, likeness, okay, he wasn't sinful, we know that. Likeness means similar but different. The the difference, obviously, was he wasn't sinful. Christ's experience was not identical to man's in the sense that he did not share man's guilt. He was not spiritually dead. He had, had never sinned. So for this reason, Paul qualifies his description of Christ's coming by saying that he came in the likeness of sinful man. And... Just to be clear, he doesn't mean Jesus was not fully human. He was. He was fully human. Jesus' humanity was both real and sinless at the same time, yet he was also uh, God at the same time, It's just what is, in theology, is known as the hypostatic union, all right? So you learn your theology lesson there. <laughs> so that, um, the sentence... The sentence was passed, if you, and executed on sin. In Christ's flesh, he condemned sin. He judged it. All right. And there's this, this, in the Greek, the way it's written, it's this tense, it emphasizes that he has already, like with finality, condemned it. He's condemned sin. There's no clear statement found anywhere. in Paul's writings, or anywhere else of, of the early Christian belief that what happened on the cross was that the judicial punishment of sin that took place. All right. So in the flesh is in Adam. Right in verse four, he says, "In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirits." Now. The righteousness requirements, it says, of the Torah are fulfilled in us. He's repeating what he has said in 6, 7, that those who have died with Christ are freed from sin, so there is no charge that can be made against this new relationship. It's not an adulterous one, as the law's righteous requirements have been met within the representative, the covenant-annulling death of, of Jesus. So this is about being under the old covenant, which is death, or being under the new covenant, which is life. All right, this verse, this verse doesn't say that we might fulfill the law, but that it might be fulfilled in us. We are passive. God is the actor. The requirement of the law is fulfilled in us by God, right? Jesus took our sin, bore it upon the cross, he paid that debt. He, he, he took that then and gave us His righteousness. We will never be separated from God because we have the righteousness of Christ. Right? And as crazy as it sounds, spiritually, when God sees you, like you're as righteous as Christ is righteous because of Christ's act. We stand complete in him. It's all his doing. So walking, walking after the flesh was not a problem that's only faced in the first century. Many today are walking after that. They're trying to gain favor through to God uh, or with God through their works, right? They're trying to please God through the things that they do and that seems to me in this context seems to be walking after that flesh you're trying to add these laws or these requirements and these things that you need to do walking after the flesh uh there's the zionist people and the hebrew roots people and they get very very serious and i i i i i, I do love their zeal <laughs> i do uh and i listen i listen to a lot of uh I listen to a lot of uh, Catholic radio, and I listen to a lot of uh, Seven Day Adventist or Adventist Three uh, ABN radio. Um, and I know my theology, so I, you know, it's like I, I can do that and listen to it. And man, they get so like passionate about what they they preach, but then they're always like, no, like the with the Seven Day people i think you are aware they're really big on the sabbath right and so they're adding this saying you have to do this it has the sabbath and keep it holy and it has to be on uh, friday from sundown to uh saturday uh sundown and all that and they're adding these things this is this law stuff that they're putting and it's jesus plus these things right and uh that's that 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 is doing trying to do these things that will make a man exhausted. When you're always laying that out, trying to tell you how to do these things. Um, I'm just rambling now. So <laughs> I'm just think of all these things. I watched the show even last night where this family's Jewish, the son decides to be Orthodox Jewish, and so the parents are like, you're joining a cult, you know? And he's like, no, I, you don't believe in the right version of God, we do. And there's that conflict there, right? Um, and so everything was kosher and all that stuff and the kids were never allowed any of the candy or the sweets or ice cream. And then so, but his sister is an Orthodox. So when the family gets together, like the grandma's bringing out ice cream to the sister's parents in front of the other kids and stuff because they can't have it. And it's creating this tension and all that. And then it, you, you see all these things that, that these things can happen and we can do these with anything in our life. And I don't know even why I'm, I'm talking about this, but it was fascinating to me that when there's something that's happened to the dad and the dad's missing and now the son, he comes home after putting missing signs up all day and he has a whole bag of candy and he tells us kids he's got a treat treats for them to give them candy and they're not supposed to be having that stuff. And it was like, I don't know, even while I'm talking about this, for some reason it feels like living by law, and the law we know is good and holy, but when it's there to try to make you attain something that you can't, you think you're better, you think you're more holy, but at the same time you're not fulfilled at all because it's not it's not Christ Christ has done it all the work for us so with him it's all done the obedience and everything's been taken care of and then because of the empowering of the holy spirit that takes place in us that what is what makes us want to grow in that obedience and do the the things in which we learn in God's word uh, does that make sense any of that I don't know I just ramble, but so, they were trying to please God through things that they do. It doesn't find fulfillment, though, right? It doesn't make them any closer to God. So, to walk after that flesh is to be condemned. So, if you are trusting in something that you have done to get you into heaven, right? You'll never get there. That's the point. To walk after the Spirit is to trust Jesus and to trust Him alone. To trust in Christ alone is to receive the righteousness of God and never have to face His condemnation, never face His judgment. And then that, that's where we'll end because that whole contrast of flesh and Spirit then comes up through 5 through 11. And I want us to see that in one setting instead of uh, chopping it up or rushing through it. So, is there any questions, comments, disagreements?
1: bad things, like living a life of sin, when it's so, but what he's talking about is pursuing righteousness by our works, as the Israelites were doing because of Torah and trying to follow the law. So that's what he's comparing, so that's the definition there, it's not I'm fighting sin in my life, I'm going to walk by the flesh because I made a bad decision or a sin, so that is not the definition. It's the definition <laughs> is following
0: because fla- the NIV, law of righteousness. N- NIV took flesh and, and translated it sinful nature. Right. Right. So, so the, the context in which I've been trying to interpret this through and teach as would be in Adam or under the law versus in Christ. Right. And it all goes back to, to chapter five. Right. And yes. I know that's what you're saying. Yes. It's like
1: a light bulb. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, that... okay, because wouldn't we think of it? I've all, and I know that's what you're saying, but mm-hmm. I actually grasp the concept because because that's what I thought. <laughs> like, I thought there was that war. And like you're saying, the war well, is. Yeah.
0: And, well, the, the war. <laughs> The struggle is still there. Right. There is a struggle.
1: Yeah, it is, but it's not,
0: but... But I'm saying we can find that in other places, too. Like, that's not the question. Like, that's not what we should be asking about uh, chapter 7 and 8 of Romans. not it. I really don't think that's the point of it. But we have adopted that interpretation so much to be like, well, Paul was like this. And if Paul was like that, then... It's no problem then for me, right? Um, so we, in, like I said, I said it earlier, it's just ingrained the sinful nature of my flesh or all this. So all the, anytime we, we sin or we're str- struggling or battling a temptation or something, we're always like, I'm struggling with my flesh. Right. Which, which really what we're doing then is taking a Hellenistic view of... Of us as humanity. Right. We're saying the body's bad, the physical's bad, the flesh is bad, yeah. you know? And saying that's all bad and it's not good at all. The only thing good is good is the spiritual side of me, but I can't seem to translate the spiritual in, through the physical. Right. Well, that's not how it's supposed to be working because we get a dualistic view of us. It's like you're bipolar right. or, or something, and as far as, as trying to, to live.
1: Also, I you know, like I see a lot of pure Christians or have that mentality or, you know, what Facebook posts, memes or whatever of I was trying to do things my own way and then I did things God's way, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think and I or I did things in the flesh Mm -hmm. or, you know, or tried to make things happen without God. And I think that also sets I understand but at the same time it's like we set up that duality again and it's like well what do you mean by you know like you're trying to make a like buy a house and it doesn't go through because it was your way and not God's That's right, right? You know, yeah, like,
0: I didn't pray about that enough. I, I just did, went after that yeah, house and probably that wasn't God's I will didn't
1: seek God's will <laughs> on it type of mentality. Sure. Like and I understand part of that but at the same time like think we can over exert that spiritual you know yeah. sort of thinking when it's like you can just do things <laughs> as long as not sin type of deal yeah you know I mean use God's wisdom and the spirit to guide you but yeah um, you make a big deal of things I think
0: sometimes. it's I think that way of looking at situations and and it's like comfort food
1: right
0: you know mm-hmm. in some ways um, I don't think it's all necessarily wrong, I mean, right. and stuff. Um, but I don't think it's all 100% right either. I think there's like a middle ground in there that we, we need to try to find and understand. But most don't because most don't go a little deeper in the words just to try. It, we're so, we're just so used to it in our culture, mm-hmm. in the in the church culture, right? You right. know, if you will, like with the, the memes and, and things like that, mm-hmm. that... Well, I was just trying to do it myself. Yeah. I was doing it myself. But, you know, there is a way of looking at that and saying, if I am trying to do things in my own power, without any help of, from God... Does that exist huh? in
1: a Christian life, though?
0: Um, well, <laughs> you know,
1: like, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's the the paradox, right. <laughs> which okay. I don't like to say. Gotcha. I don't like to say, because people will say, well, there's no contradictions, but there's paradoxes. And right. it's like, well, I don't want to say there's paradoxes, but... Um, does it exist? I mean, I don't know. I mean, from my own experience, I don't, I, I, I try to analyze it more because I'm like, it, it would be easy for me to say yes, but that's the way, that's the only thing I've ever known. Right. So, um, I always go back to, but grace, right, yeah. <laughs> but with God, there's more grace There's grace. Okay. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, I, I can't. I, I think it just becomes one of those things where you just keep going in circles. Sometimes, and yeah. that conversation. it's just one of the, it seems to be one of the hardest things to have to try to to dissect and analyze and discuss in a way to understand it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Anything else? All right.